0: One of the serious difficulties interpreting scripture is the frequent allusion to agrarian metaphors, that is, the language of farming and ranching. For the people of the ancient Near East, illustrations related to the cultivation of the land or grazing of animals were familiar because they reflected their own experience or that of immediate ancestors. However, I dare say, that few of us here this morning know the difference between a harrow and a plow. Few of us can discern Holstein from Angus cattle. And I suspect virtually none of us can long hold forth on the merits of John Deere, Ferguson, masts, and International Harvester tractors. The reality for most, if not each of us, is that the life of the land is far removed from our everyday experience. While our lives depend on the food it yields, our incomes generally do not. That is, unless one of you is operating a multi-acre organic farm and you're not sharing the produce with us. Most of us probably don't know many farmers or ranchers, having largely spent our lives amidst the concrete and asphalt of cities and suburbs. And even if we do know a few, they no longer reflect Norman Rockwell's portrait of the family farm, a sector of the economy now dominated by large multinational corporations, Tyson, ConAgra, Archer Daniel Midlands. So, dear friends, it is this morning that we approach biblical texts rich in the imagery of ranching. Images familiar to the original audience, yet quite removed from our own 21st century experience. Now, To be sure, the 23rd Psalm, read just moments ago, uses the staple of rural life, a shepherd of sheep, to convey to the people of Israel the intimacy, the love, the protection of God, of a God who provides specifically for them the author of 1 Peter, today's second lesson, similarly identifies the Son of God, Jesus, as a shepherd, the guardian of our souls and the rescuer of we sheep, whose lives and faith so often go astray. And even the lesson from Acts, although not explicitly using the metaphor of a shepherd, speaks to the abundance of life, food, and possessions shared by and through the faithful community of Christ and in itself is reminiscent of the abundant protection of God so beautifully related in the earlier psalm. So it is that despite our lack of familiarity or practical experience with ranching, each of us probably has developed a reasonably fond understanding of the inherent goodness of shepherds. With the work and loving care of shepherds so well established, not only for us, but for the original Jewish audience, what possible purpose is being fulfilled in yet another account of a shepherd, the one recorded in this morning's gospel? Is there something new for the original audience and for us to learn? Is there a dimension of God reflected in a shepherd's humble presence that we've yet to explore? Or can we conclude that we fully understand the imagery of Jesus as the good shepherd, wrap this sermon up, and head out for some coffee? Almost, but not so fast. What about the other principal character in this story, this parable of the good shepherd? What about the sheep? Both in popular culture and literature, I think sheep get a bad rap, often focused on their presumed stupidity. All of us have heard, if not used, the phrase, like lambs being led to the slaughter as if somehow sheep were predisposed to pursuing their own annihilation. John Muir, the 19th century naturalist and poet, who we honor as a holy man on our church calendar, once remarked about sheep that an entire flock is required to make one foolish individual. And some of us have even concluded that sheep really look stupid. But dear friends, have you ever wondered what sheep think of the way we look? Despite our perceptions, sheep are in fact quite successful. Think about this. More than a billion, a billion sheep inhabit every corner of the world. Their lives consist of grazing contentedly on grasslands, and being sheared for their comfort during the summer and fed during the winter. By whom? Us. (laughs) And while perhaps appearing stupid, to even the discerning eye of a scholar like John Muir, sheep are in fact reasonably intelligent, having the ability to both recognize each other and interpret when one of them is being treated differently. To just that point, a number of years ago, researchers in Ireland conducted an experiment to determine the extent to which sheep respond to differences within the flock imposed by their shepherd. Some of the sheep were fitted with GPS transponders so that their shepherd could stay close to them as they grazed. Others in the same flock simply were left to wander with the shepherd keeping his usual distance. Amazingly, and within minutes, the sheep without the transponders went to those with them, ripped them off. Lesson learned from this experiment? Sheep really react badly when they're treated differently by their shepherd. At this point, we might want to launch into a prolonged discussion of rivalries, competing interests and vanities which no doubt were embedded in the community to which John the Evangelist ministered and the occasional disruption to communal life they caused. Or if we're looking for broader and more relevant application of the Irish experiment, we might reflect on the hostilities which have plagued the church for the past 2,000 years when some have sensed that they've been slighted or marginalized as the needs of others have been more fully recognized. And finally, we might also consider the life we share together in this Holy Communion community. Surely a family bound together by a shared faith and common prayer, but also a community whose members' needs vary significantly. Some of us carry physical and emotional burdens beyond our imagination. Some of us ache over dreams unfulfilled, skills underappreciated, and careers arbitrarily limited. And some of us grieve the loss of the ones we love. While indeed we are one community in Christ, we each bear the marks of individual lives lived, unique challenges, and pains that are both profound and deeply personal. And not unlike the Irish sheep, we expect someone to pay attention to us, individually, specifically, lovingly. It is precisely in this context of our shared and distinct lives that John paints such a beautiful portrait of Jesus. The good, the perfect shepherd. A shepherd who names each one of us, you and me, in our baptism. A shepherd who gathers us together at this table to celebrate his communion with us. Ours with him and together our communion with and commitment to the world beyond these walls. And a shepherd who both guides and protects us as we seek to serve others, to be the church. Indeed, like sheep, we occasionally go astray. But this morning's lessons also punctuate the fact that this good shepherd finds us. He finds us at the bottom of a bottle, he finds us at the end of a needle. He finds us bolted behind a door, retreating from an abusive spouse. He finds us at the bedside of a loved one dying. Indeed, this good shepherd finds us in the darkest moments and the darkest places of our lives. But John also reminds us that this shepherd finds us when we're filled with joy, filled with hope, and joins us in celebrating graduations long-awaited, wedding anniversaries anticipated, and the remission of illnesses enjoyed and delighted. In the midst of this Eastertide, may we together rejoice that the Christ who is risen the Christ alive and the Christ among us is and will always be for us. The Good Shepherd, the one who named you, the one who finds you and me without a GPS. <laughs> Amen.